0: a conversation with governor-elect bill lee and whopping spending in the u.s senate race this is grand divisions welcome to the week of december 10th i'm joel ebert
1: and i'm natalie allison
0: This week on Grand Divisions, we have a 20-minute or so conversation with Governor-Elect Bill Lee. We've been trying to get him on the podcast since his election last month. Here's the interview.
1: This week on Grand Divisions, we have a very special guest we have with us, Governor-Elect Bill Lee. He is here in our studio at the Tennessean. Governor-Elect, thanks for coming on. Good
2: morning. Thank you very much for having me.
1: Uh, we've been wanting to have you come on for a while, so this is a treat for all of our listeners. We're looking forward to getting to talk you. to you. Thank you. Um, let's just jump in. We we want to keep this brief. Um, you've said before that criminal justice reform is going to be a priority for you in this upcoming administration in the legislative session. Uh, You obviously have spent many years working closely with this issue. Um, What are some of the specific things that bother you about the way the system is currently, things that you think need to be addressed, Mm -hmm. um, maybe stories that have come before you about people you know or that you've heard about?
2: Well, I have worked for a long time in the private sector in this, um, particularly with a reentry program. Uh, where I actually interviewed and spent time with men incarcerated multiple times multiple men listening to their stories and um, and then actually mentored a man coming out he was he was getting out decided to spend a morning a week with that man every week and did that for several years through his reentry process which was successful and and the organization that the reentry program I was working with has a a real success rate for men coming out. This um, is men of valor? Men of valor. Okay. And so why this matters so much to me and to, I think, should matter and does matter to Tennesseans, about 95% of everybody incarcerated gets out. They all serve their sentences and they come out into our communities. And right now in the state of Tennessee, about 50% of those that come out recommit and go back to prison in the first two years. That And those the crimes they recommit are in our communities. And so, if we really want to address crime rate, and I said on the campaign trail one of the big three things for me is safe neighborhoods, then we need to reduce recidivism, and we do that by looking at how we reenter folks. When we give them skills um, in uh, the program I worked with intercepted men about a year before they got out and worked with them until they got out through transitional housing and job placement. We can do a better job of that in corrections. Um, that's one of the things I want to do. The other piece to that is who gets incarcerated in the first place. Um, I, I I'm a big believer in alternative sentencing. Uh, for those who are low level offenders and nonviolent offenders, you know, I think we can be tough on crime and smart on crime at the same time. And utilizing drug courts and veterans courts and mental health courts to uh, provide sentencing for those who have broken the law, but minimizing the number of people that are incarcerated who are not a real threat to us, but have broken the law. So they need to be sentenced. Anyway, those are ideas that I have, uh, toward providing safer neighborhoods for every Tennessean.
0: To piggyback off of your first point about men of valor, do you anticipate seeing your administration maybe teaming up with them? I know you've talked about, you know, uh, government uh, grouping up with nonprofits yeah. to do something.
2: I, I think, uh, that anytime we can partner with the private sector or with nonprofit groups that are effectively doing what we hope will be done in the state, then we ought to do that. We ought to look at how it is that we can partner with nonprofits or the private sector, especially those that are really being effective at it. So, yeah, I hope that we can uh, not just men of valor, but other organizations and nonprofit groups that are effectively reducing recidivism.
1: Jumping back to sentencing reform, something that's gained national attention recently is the case of Santoya Brown. Are you familiar with her case? (laughs) Um, As governor, do you think she should be granted clemency? What do you what would you do in, in that position? And and do you think that someone who uh, committed that kind of crime in the situation she was in, what many people today would say is a victim of sex trafficking, uh, should have as a juvenile been sentenced to life?
2: I certainly think that the, the particulars of her case, I've not been privy to. I, I, you know, I think when you talk about a, a specific case. You have to be given all the information about a case, and I haven't been in that one, but I do think that we have to look hard at who and why we incarcerate someone. I I do believe we can be tough on crime, and and we ought to be. in the In the right cases, we need to make sure that those people who are a threat to society need to be. Uh, need to have stiff penalties and need to be incarcerated for the appropriate amount of time. But I do think that we got to look hard at putting people in prison that are that we deem not a threat to the general population. Uh, and and so I'll, I'm looking for sentencing reform in that vein.
1: If, if Governor Haslam doesn't act on her case, is that something you think that you'll take up?
2: Uh, I will take it up. Certainly, if he doesn't act on it, I'll look at it because I want to know. The details of that case. And it's important that we act on these things one governor at a time. And I respect his decision-making process in these things. But then if if, it, if there hasn't been a decision made by the time I'm elected, then it'll fall into my hands and I'll certainly be looking at it.
1: The state Supreme Court has scheduled six executions uh, during your administration so far. We've got four next year, two in 2020. we um, what are your thoughts on on that? Is that something that should continue? Do you see yourself intervening in any of those cases?
2: I think that's uh, my thoughts are that those are very, very difficult decisions and and uh, that we take them one at a time. Um, the death penalty is the law here in the state of Tennessee. And I, th- I think appropriately so for the most egregious of crimes, it is the appropriate penalty. And it's, and it is the law and it's my job as governor to uphold the law and, um, you know, not to intervene with, into the criminal justice system and to the, the justice system in general. Certainly I'll have to
0: look at every single case as they come before me, but those are my, that's my broad view of it. Several people have questioned the use of, uh, lethal injection, uh, including Billy Ray Irick, who, you know, was, uh, executed earlier this year mm-hmm. via, uh, lethal injection. Do you, I mean, do you have any views on that? Do you think that, that it is something that is questionable, the use of lethal injection over other forms of using the death penalty? Well, I think in, in this state, um, those that are facing the death penalty
2: have options and should, should have those options. Um, in case they believe that it's, um, not best for them. Um, the, many, many states use uh, lethal injection. It's it's the most widely um, used form, and I think it's appropriate to have in the state, but the options are appropriate as well. I think
0: one of the questions was just about the, the cocktail of drugs that were used yeah. and the fact that the state had to, in essence, go to the black market to uh, find some of these drugs. That's why questions were, were being raised. But um, you still think it, it evidently is a, a viable yeah, option? Yeah, I do. Okay.
1: Governor, how does your faith impact your view on the death penalty? I know, you know, recently, now that Tennessee has resumed executions, Governor Haslam has received a lot of criticisms from opponents to the death penalty, saying this is not something that Jesus would do or support. What what do you say to that? Yeah. Because they're going to say that to you, too.
2: Yeah, I think the, the, the primary thinking for me on that is, is that as governor, I am sworn to uphold the law. And... I don't decide that law. It's been decided before I came. And um, that that's it's my job to uphold the law, and I'll do so.
0: Let's go to the a, a next subject. Uh, while you've been campaigning, you've talked about giving parents choices, you know, and, and you've mentioned that that includes charter schools, school vouchers. Um, and saying how those things will improve the state's education system. Of the handful of people you've uh, added to your administration or announced that will join your administration, two are pro-vouchers advocates. Do you see in your first year uh, vouchers being a part of your agenda? You know,
2: I um, developed a real interest in education by working with uh, an inner city, at risk youth organization and mentored a young man coming out of um, a very troubled neighborhood, and I spent one evening a week with that young man for five years. And in the process of our relationship, I worked with his grandmother to have him moved. Who he lived with, his grandmother, have him moved from a traditional public school system that was that he he was failing every class into a neighborhood charter school in his neighborhood where he began to succeed. And, in fact, that kid is, is now in college. And, you know, what I realized in that process was that every kid has the opportunity to succeed and should have the, a high-quality education as a part of their growing up in Tennessee. Every kid deserves to have a high-quality education. And, and I watched because he had a choice— I watched his educational outcome improved and and it is what really drove my thinking about, about parental choice. And, um, you, you know, whether it's a charter school or a, whatever choice a parent has, not only is that individual child's outcome improved, but I think the system is improved specifics about what we'll do going forward. I do believe when parents have a choice, the system is improved and, 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 uh, competition is brought and transparency is more evident and, the specifics about education proposals, we haven't gotten there yet. But um, I am an advocate for choice, and I think you'll see going forward that
0: I will advocate for parents to have choices. So that doesn't sound like a straight up yes. We're definitely going to do it in the first year. It's but not a I, yes. I mean, you're certainly open to the idea. I'm open to the idea. Yes.
1: Mm-hmm. You've talked about creating a new office of faith-based initiatives and – or faith-based and community initiatives, I believe is what you've called it. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us a little bit more about what you would see that um, – what purpose you'd see that serving and why something like that would be necessary here?
2: You know, um, I've always said that uh, the government is – not the answer to every challenge in our society. And um, in fact, government oftentimes doesn't do a great job of solving some of the hardest things that lie before us. And in my private sector work and, and in my private life, I worked a lot with nonprofits that were very effective, organizations that are serving disabled children, that are feeding the poor, that are... You know, uh, women's prison organizations, uh, health clinics. There are so many remarkable nonprofit organizations across the state that are doing the work that government cannot and should not do, and, and they do it better. I just want to be a government that fans a flame on that, that creates an environment where nonprofits can thrive and this office of faith-based and nonprofit initiatives is will be designed to be a liaison between the government and nonprofits, so that we can know what it is that they're doing, and they can know and have access to uh, information about other organizations that are doing work similar to theirs, so they can work together to enhance the work that they're doing. I I worked a lot in in Haiti uh, over my years. And there's an organization there that is a clearinghouse sort of for nonprofits. It's a, a place to go. If you want to know what else is being done in that, in that country, uh, particularly if you're a nonprofit and you want to see what other nonprofits are doing, I can envision that in the office of faith-based and nonprofit initiatives where, uh, we just create an environment for nonprofits to thrive.
1: So we can expect to see that office created under your administration. You no can. longer a rumor. That's okay, right. all can. right. You heard that's it here, right. everyone. That's right. Uh, can the public expect to see people of multiple faiths appointed to this office? People of the Jewish faith, Muslim faith. Do you think it will mostly be Christian?
2: Any anybody that certainly anybody that is doing work in our community that's benefiting that's benefiting uh, the citizens of Tennessee is going to be invited certainly to be a part of it. I, you know, it's not going to be a big office. We're not going to have lots of folks working in there, but we're going to be inviting anyone and everyone, any nonprofit that is um, benefiting citizens, we're going to invite them to, to to at least be connected to and to be a liaison for them. We want to serve nonprofits in the state.
1: Who's going to be running the office?
2: Oh, we, hadn't, we haven't gotten that far yet. I've got uh, cabinet-level positions to take right. first.
1: Um, related to that, uh, Governor Haslam had been critical of a bill that has previously been introduced here to make the Bible the official state book. What do you think about that bill? Would you sign that?
2: I haven't ever really looked at that bill. I don't have to do that. Personally. Wouldn't shock me if so, it comes back. Does it yeah, sound like it something you would be back. supportive of? Though, you know, I, I'm supportive of things that are uh, beneficial to every Tennessean that uphold the values and the principles of this state. And uh, we'll, we you know, we, I'll take it one bill at a time.
0: Um, while you've campaigned, you've talked about the, the need to make uh, technical and vocational schools a priority. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, tease that out a little bit. What does that look like in, in your administration? Does that mean that you want to take money that has historically gone to higher education and put it towards, you know, public technical schools? Or does that mean you want to take some of that money and give it to to private, you know, business uh, technical schools like the one that at Lee Company? Yeah. Yeah. Well, you, you mentioned the one at Lee Company. We
2: what I think overall broadly is that for decades we've really ignored or at least put on the back burner uh, vocational, technical, and agricultural education. We have we have focused on other things, and we've let that fall away. And now we have a lack of skilled workforce all over the state and really in the nation. Um Companies like mine are well aware of that because we, that's what I do is employ skilled workers. It's why we started a trade school ten years ago was to develop them because they're not out there as a result of the education system. And we've we've put a thousand people through trade school. I want to do that in high schools all over the state. I think it would enhance the economic opportunities, particularly for the four out of ten kids in this state that don't go to college, and we need to provide pathways of hope for them. and And we'll do that by having a greater emphasis and focus in our K through twelve system on vocational technical education. How we do that, you know, we we look at where the, all the funding is in the entire state budget, and we allocate resources to those things that are priorities. And for me, that'll be a priority. I do think we engage the private sector, not so much with uh, with uh, resources to the private sector, but we just engage the private sector in, in helping with establishing curriculum and direction. I mean, if you have an industry in a county that needs skilled workers, and if that industry is partnered with the local school district, maybe that local high school and what you're going to have is a program in that school that develops skilled tradespeople to work in that particular industry. And that's good for, that's good for everyone in that region. So partnering with the private sector but creating funding opportunities through the budget that, that bring about a greater emphasis there I think will be important.
1: If anyone remotely paid attention during the gubernatorial race, they would probably know you are opposed to Medicaid expansion. Uh, people who are supportive of expansion, certainly Democrats and some Republicans, too, would say that states such as Tennessee who aren't expanding are foolish because they're leaving all of this federal money on the table. It's you know estimated to be about a billion and a half dollars a year here um, that we are we're not accepting in order to expand Medicaid. Based on that argument alone, what do you think of it? What would you say to those people who say, you know, we could be using this money to to get?
2: Well, I do think more? we have to remember that with federal dollars come federal requirements, um, strings attached that are that are significant, and so it's not free money. It it comes with with a lot of requirements and a lot of attachments. What, what are some I, uh, of
1: those strings that bother <clears throat> you the most? That that you think would be too problematic for the state? Well,
2: there, there are a lot of regulatory. Uh, requirements on, on who gets covered and who has to be covered and and what you have to what coverage you have to give them. In part, which is my argument is that that is in part what makes it unaffordable to start with. Um, every Tennessean deserves to have access to quality health care that they can afford. And the rising cost of health care, even under the Affordable Care Act, the continued rising cost of health care is unsustainable. It may be it may cover more people today, but as if we don't address the co- rising cost of health care, every year that we don't do that, more and more people will not be able to afford health care. Less and less people will be able to afford it. What I want is a long-term plan that allows Tennesseans broadly, all across the state, every Tennessean, to have access to health care they can afford. And we do that, I believe, by starting first with addressing the rising costs. And I think we can do that. I think we can, you know, expanding a system that's broken is a bad idea. I don't want to put our state in the same situation we put it in decades ago when we expanded health care through Medicaid and ended up having to take people off the rolls because the rising cost was unsustainable. I do think there's a better way. I want to work on that better way so that at the end of my tenure, More Tennesseans than ever before can afford to have health care going into the future.
1: Do you think it's the state's obligation or or moral obligation to make sure that everyone in the state has health care coverage? I know you've said everyone deserves that.
2: Well, I certainly think it's the state's obligation to do everything we can to provide access and to provide access that people can afford. We should make that a goal, and that is a goal of mine.
0: Final question. Um, We... We've seen in recent years uh, several people uh, that are in the immigrant or refugee community feel – Uh, attacked or slighted by the state legislature through legislation. You've talked about while campaigning that you want to be the governor for everybody in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Many of these folks that, you know, are refugees or immigrants have now become citizens of this state and Mm -hmm. and citizens of the United States. How would you address those kind of fears among um, among the immigrant refugee community uh, when there is legislation that they feel does attack them? Yeah. I do want to be a governor for every
2: single Tennessean, for every citizen of this state. I want them to believe that we are a state that wants them to be successful, that wants them to be part of this community. And, uh, you know, my wife and I have um, been engaged in refugee communities. I mean, Maria has served in um, in the refugee community here locally through nonprofits and through uh, uh, organizations, ministries that serve refugees. And we we know that as these folks become citizens of Tennessee, it, it's in all of our best interest for them to feel engaged, for them to feel welcome, for them to feel a part of the community. And, and I want that to be the case. I want every citizen of Tennessee to know that I, I do want to serve them as their governor. I do want life to be better for every single Tennessee. And I've said, I, I, I've spent most of my adult career trying to make life better for 1,200 plumbers and pipe fitters and their families. And now it's my distinct privilege to try to make life better for six and a half million people that are the citizens of Tennessee, and that's every citizen.
0: Not to make Lane too unhappy, but uh, as we did with Governor Haslam, we had a series of lightning round questions (laughs) that we would like to ask you. These are fun. As long as I don't have to raise my hand. Some of them are fun. (laughs) Some of them are not so fun. Um, So these will be brief. Try and be brief in your answer. We will be brief in the question. I might be really brief in some (laughs) of them. You never know. First question to sort of piggyback off of the last question I asked you. uh, The state has a, a, a lawsuit against the federal government over refugee resettlement. Right now it's in the appeal process. Um, Do you support this lawsuit continuing? Uh, I think that the state
2: should be able to decide who comes into the state and that we, uh, it's important that we know who comes in, where they come from, what their background is. And so I continue to support that. It's very important to the public safety of people in Tennessee. And that's one of my primary responsibilities as governor.
1: There is a bust of Nathan Bedford Forrest in the Capitol. Of course, yeah. he was a Confederate general. He was a Grand Wizard in the Ku Klux Klan. Haslam has said he's got to go. Uh, the bust is still there. Do you think the bust should be removed?
2: You know, I've said oftentimes I think that the the um, removal of monuments is not Uh, the best approach to resolving the challenges that are presented with that conversation. You know, wiping out history wipes out also the history that we're not proud of. The Ku Klux Klan is a part of our history that we are not proud of in Tennessee. And we we need to be reminded of that and make certain that we don't forget it. And so I I wouldn't advocate to remove that.
1: Quickly, anything you would propose doing to provide context or anything like that?
2: Oh, I I propose to uh, be certain that Every Tennessean knows that I'm a governor who wants to mitigate uh, any kind of racial tension, any kind of uh, conflicts that we have in in groups of citizens across this state. And I will be working to do that in ways that I think are meaningful and substantive and bring about real change forward for the state.
0: Also in the Capitol uh, or on the Capitol, um, one issue that came up last year was when the legislature decided they were going to allow guns in the Cordell Hall building. Do you have any plans to change uh, the ban on guns in the Capitol at all? I, I don't. No, no plans to change that.
1: You recently attended RGA, the Republican Governors mm-hmm. Association. I saw a Politico story coming out of that conference about a group of governors, Republican governors, who were meeting during it to talk about how Trump's rhetoric was scaring them. They were suggesting he tamp it down a little. Do you think the president should tamp down his rhetoric? Are you concerned at all by it?
2: You know, and in, in that story, you probably read that I said I tried to keep my focus on Tennessee and what matters to Tennesseans. And, uh and, and that is going to be my focus, I think. Um, nationally, there's a lot of things going on that are uh, – that some good, some bad. But I'm, I'm really trying to keep my eyes focused on, on Tennessee and putting together my administration and what's best for Tennesseans.
0: So I don't know the answer to this question, and I don't know why. What's your favorite sports team or sport at all? It it's it's uh it's
2: probably not fair to ask me that. I'll Why? I'll give you some of my Why? favorite. Teams. <laughs> right. yeah. Uh yeah, I went to Auburn, so I'm a big Auburn fan. Okay. That that didn't that is not something I've talked a lot about <laughs> on the campaign trail. But I also love the U T Vols. You know, I'm an SEC football fan, is what I am. So um I really do, genuinely. By the way, good for UT beating Gonzaga.
0: Do you think they're going to go far in the tournament?
2: If they yeah. Absolutely. All I right. do think they're going to go far in the tournament. Excited about that. I'm also um, a big Preds fan and love going to those games. And
0: You get into it, so then are the Preds going to win a Stanley Cup in your administration?
2: Wouldn't that be a big bonus? I, I hope so. It won't have anything to do with me, but I'll sure be there.
1: What about the NFL?
2: Uh, oh, certainly! I, I love the Titans. I grew up uh, not really being a big NFL fan because you know we didn't have any teams around here. So, but when my kids were young, the Titans came to town, and especially my boys were big fans, and uh, we had season tickets, and have I've gone to Titans games my whole.
0: Uh, You know, the last since I've been here. So prediction time, will they make the playoffs? Now that one, you know,
2: yeah, sure, we're going to make the playoffs. (laughs) It's going to be tight. It's going to be close, but we'll make it. We still got hope. There's always hope, you know, on the side of my bus. There's a scripture about hope. It's true for the Titans, too.
1: Uh, let's let's close out here. Uh, you, to clarify, you do plan to move into the governor's mansion. Is that's that right? Yes. Okay. Uh, what are you most looking forward to with that? And do you have any ideas on how you're going to decorate upstairs? Yeah, uh,
2: I'd, I'd rather not call it the mansion. I like to call it the residence. Oh, okay. the executive <laughs> residence. The executive the residence.
1: residence with the party bunker on the side. Yeah, yeah,
2: that's right. We. Uh,
1: what, what was your question? Oh, just what are you most <laughs> looking forward to about having this the second home here in Nashville? You and, know, and how you're going to decorate.
2: Gosh, I don't know. You might need to talk to the first lady and she is so pragmatic about decorating. I think it'll be it, it, it may it may likely be sparse upstairs. <laughs> Downstairs, you know, stays the same. And we're going to um we're going to be staying uh, on the farm in the weekends. So, uh, we'll be going back and hanging out with our family and grandkids on the weekends hopefully, but we are going to use the residence. It's a great asset for the state of Tennessee to be able to, you know, have folks dignitaries and, and and Maria really hopes that it will become that we'll actually be able to also just invite Tennesseans from all across the state to come there and, and for it to be the people's residence. that's that's a hope that she's expressed and and the Haslam's have have been good at that but we want to continue that in even a greater way so uh we're excited actually about that opportunity. Sounds like us. if we need a place to
0: the crash, There you I go. Could just we got there's the plenty of the bedrooms of up
2: bedrooms. <laughs> there. It's just me and Maria. So, so you guys have to go stay. furniture
1: shopping. <laughs> there huh? you go. Well, there thank
0: you, go. you again for for coming in and being on the podcast. We look forward to uh, working with you guys and uh, the inauguration next month. So thank you very much. Honored to be here. I look forward to working with y'all too.
1: Thank you, Governor Luck. Thank you.
0: And now finally, this week's notebook dump. $93 million was spent in this year's U.S. Senate race between Marsha Blackburn and- and Phil Bredesen, the Democrat. Blackburn, of course, won. Uh, she had spent $16.3 million to get elected to the U.S. Senate. Bredesen spent $19.1 million. And then outside groups, PACs and, and groups interested in the race, spent a total of $57.9 million. That shatters previous records, which were held in the 2006 uh, Bob Corker versus Harold Ford Jr. race. And it exceeded uh, the governor's race spending from this year year's election by uh, more than 30 million.
1: The governor-elect has announced another commissioner. He announced last week that Charlie Hatcher would lead the Department of Agriculture. Hatcher is currently the state veterinarian, and he's a managing partner with Hatcher Family Dairy in Williamson County. The governor-elect's transition team also announced uh, more senior staff positions, or more staff positions, rather. Chris Devaney is going to be special assistant to the governor. Brent Easley will be legislative director. Liz Alvey will be legislative counsel, and Brittany Collins will serve as senior legislative liaison.
0: That's it for this episode of Grand Divisions. We look forward to the next episode. We're still kind of deciding the topic. We're also hoping to get uh, Bob Corker and uh, uh, Bill Haslam back on the podcast at some point. So hopefully they can do that and you guys can hear the uh, results of those interviews. Uh, If you want to give us feedback, please rate us, uh, share comments on uh, iTunes. You can find us on iTunes under Grand Divisions. Uh, This podcast, which is produced by John Garcia, uh, comes out every Tuesday. And we also are now on Twitter. So you can find us, send us any questions you may have, Um, you know, check out the latest insights, uh, uh, you know, thoughts we have behind the scenes stuff on our Twitter, which is at Grand Divisions 3. Thanks for listening. Um, I'm Joel Ebert.
1: And I'm Natalie Allison.
0: We'll see you next week.